An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right, folks, I am going to cut to the chase today. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make this this little opening bit kind of short and sweet. Uh, well, for a couple of reasons. One is, be- is because it's Saturday again. Yes, I left my podcast work until Saturday. And, um, well, it was a busy week. It was a busy week. We, we, we had our very first episode this week of... Uh, now, you heard me talk about this before. Um, so hopefully you, you watched it because... I told you about it on on numerous previous episodes. So hopefully you watched the very first worldwide premiere episode of OGGN Unscripted. It was fantastic. Uh, Well, actually, to me, it was sort of a blur. There was a lot going on. uh, And uh, before I knew it, it was over. But uh, I'm told by other (laughs) I'm told by other people that it was really good. So uh, we did have a lot of fun. It's it's a it's a new one hour uh, live stream. Uh, it's like a it's like a TV show, but it's it's different. Don't think like a webinar or you know just just a video version of a podcast. It's not that. It, I mean, we did have a couple of guests. Uh, my co-host Kayla Ball and I uh, kicked it off with two fantastic guests, uh, which were John Gibson and Maxine Aikenhead. And uh, we when we had cocktails and we had ping pong and we talked about like some stuff that you know it gets people a little bit emotional sometimes. And uh, and and the whole the whole tech crew is there it's 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 a huge production and uh and, but it's it's great and, and and it's fun to watch so um so if you missed it then you got it well you can you can still you can still watch it i mean it's better to watch it live because you really don't know what's going to happen it's sort of like when you record the you know the basketball game. You can try to watch it later. It's really not the same, but you can watch it. Uh, but I, but if you missed it, I do encourage you to to, to go to our. Uh, you can find it in our in our LinkedIn events or on our on the OGGN YouTube channel, and uh, and you can watch it and you can see what OGGN Unscripted is all about. Um, uh, yeah. So that oh so that was why am I telling you about that again? Oh right, because that was happening this week. It was a crazy hectic week, and uh, so here it is Saturday, and I'm trying to cram in uh, the last uh, bits of stuff that I need to do for my episodes that are going out uh, in two days. So um, let's see where am I? So I'm at two and a half minutes. I need to wrap this up because I got to get going. But I will tell you that um, now, if you might have noticed in the title of this episode, it probably, I don't know, I haven't written it yet because we haven't published it yet, but it's going to say something about robots, probably. And uh, and you're going to say, wait a second, last week's episode was about robots, and it was, but this one is different. So consider it like like a two-part series on robots, um, but this one's completely different. And I made a new friend in the process uh, because because the guy, the because the guest on today's show is uh, he he's he started this business. I think it's I think he said thirty five years ago, something like that. He's been doing it for a long time. He's a fantastic guy. He's right here in Houston. Uh, they're building robots. They're deploying. Ro- they're integrating stuff. They're doing all kinds of uh, fun things. He's got a big shop uh, factory. I don't know whatever you want to call it here. In fact, I'm going to see it in a in a, in a few days. I think later. I I think next week I'm going out there to visit him and we're going to hang out and see what he does. Um, 
Uh, but it's but but this is a completely different story from last week's. So so don't think that I'm just running out of material. I'm just I'm just bringing you everything from different angles. So oh by the way, speaking of bringing you, welcome to the Oil and Gas Tech Podcast right here on the Oil and Gas Global Network, which is the largest and most listened to network of podcasts for the oil and energy industry. It's really true. We really are the biggest. Um, I think we're the best, and I think I'm right about that. So that is all I'm going to say to get this one started. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm OGGN welcome to Dan Alford. And we are here at the fabulous canyon on the west side of Houston, where the sun is always shining and the birds are always singing and the people are always happy. They don't, I mean, they look reasonably happy. Dan, Dan looks happy. So I'm here with Dan Alford and uh, we're going to talk about robots, but thanks for making, uh, thanks for coming. I, it, it was like five minutes for you to get over here, right? All right. Yeah. We, we need to do the uh, second edition over at my we'll do, we, we do. We should do that, especially since the Canon, uh, as fabulous as it is, is getting um, like really busy, like really crowded. It's hard to find a parking spot anymore over here. Well, that's like encouraging. You know, it, everything's picking up in Houston. It, it is. certainly is for us. Yeah. Um, it, in fact, um, we had to walk around, as you know, when we got here, we had to walk around past my first three favorite spots, and we got relegated to the back upstairs where we're going to try not to, to disturb the people around us. But this is a good view. When the weather's nicer, this is a much better view out this window. So um, anyway, uh, so before we talk, and this is one of those times when we've already, I feel like we already chatted about every, all the interesting stuff. So. We, we may There's got to be something we may, need, we may need to back up a little bit, but let's start with, um, let, so you are also a podcaster. Uh, so, so we, I have high expectations of your, of your, of how you're going to do here, but what, but the, but you've got a podcast about robots, right? Right. We have something, uh, we've been doing for a couple of years called the Roboticist Chronicles and it's been a lot of fun. And, yeah. and that's when, when you invited me on, I, I thought I ought to reciprocate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have, uh. I, 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 somebody is desperate to, get, I don't know that, I don't know if that's coming through the mics or not, but somebody is desperate to get into an office over here. Um, so what is, uh, so, so you've been doing it for a couple of years, you and, you said we, so who else? Oh, um, my media guy, Johnny Tyler, he, he's the one that does all the hard work. I, I just do the talking. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, you know, sometimes the talking feels like hard work, I got to say, uh, especially with some people that don't, they kind of make you work. Like, so you, do you have guests on, on your show? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and it's too much fun. I, you know, we try to find people that are in the robotics industry, but in slightly different segments, like the, the NASA robot guys. And, right, uh, and right. And the medical robot guys guys and so it, the, the topic is still robots but just trying to branch out a little yeah, bit yeah is it, are they hard to find these guys because we because like i picture them like in their mother's basements you know like oh, oh <laughs> you, you cut me to the quick that's that was just mean no that's not at all the case now you know hobbyist yeah probably so yeah, but yeah. in in heavy industry uh that, that's one thing i enjoy doing is a little cross-pollination yeah and yeah. so we try to work with the guys that are doing similar but different things i, I yeah so i want to talk about that cross-pollination thing because it comes up in oil and gas a lot but um 
So for for those for for those who may want to go now, don't anybody stop listening now. Dan has an excellent podcast, but you don't want to don't go to it yet because you'll miss out on today's exciting feature. But um, but is it on? Can I can I find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Just yeah, look for the above the, yeah. ro- the roboticist chronicles. Yes, and it's out there. All right, good. Well. Um, I have. I might have some recommendations for you, people who might want to uh, might might want to be a guest. Excellent. You do some that are remote, right? They're not. Oh, just absolutely. In, yeah, I prefer face to face. But, but uh, yeah, sometimes you got to do. Um, okay, cool. All right. Um, now you you said something else interesting when we were sitting here because uh, earlier I said that um, my um, my parents moved here in 1982. I was in high school, and you said that's the year I started my company. So. This company right now, Arc, Arc, Arc Specialties. Arc Specialties. Yeah, started you, way back in the early 80s. It was just a part-time gig for me, uh, uh, working out of my garage. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. And, and then I went full-time in 90. So, a, actual garage. Yeah, like, not the, the metaphorical garage, no, no, but you were the real garage. actually in the garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I like to tell the story. So, you brought it up. I get to tell it. Uh, the first job we did was a hot tap at a plutonium plant in Idaho. Fortunately, we only have one plutonium factory in America, at least that I'm aware of. And there was a smokestack, 90 foot tall, and they wanted to drill through the concrete on the outside, slide a pipe in, weld it into the wall, cut the wall out, and do all this while the plutonium machine was still running. Sure. And if uh, if because why would you why would you want to shut it off? Well, yeah, you know everybody needs more plutonium, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, and they said don't drop the slug that we cut out of the wall down because the machine was at the bottom of the stack, so we had to catch the slug also and yeah, it was yeah. stainless so we couldn't use magnets it was a lot of fun and you know here i was 23 years old and if the government had known it was a kid in his garage building this machine they probably oh God, would have yeah. reacted poorly <laughs> but they didn't know what he had a clue and uh in, ni- in the 90s we went back and did it all again no kidding really mm-hmm. so so all right so let's break that down a little bit though because you said that very quickly and and um i'm not good at math so uh so you, you had to so it's a stainless steel wall. It's a, the smokestack was stainless because right. this stuff's corrosive. Yeah, and so you have to you got to cut a hole in the wall, right? Right, big enough for you to be able to operate through. Well, we had, we had to first we had to drill through the uh, covering, which is four foot of concrete. That wasn't my job. So somebody else drilled through the whole slide. You know, they slid yeah. an eight-inch pipe into the eight-foot diameter wall. So you had to work through that pipe. Right. But you couldn't work. And normally you would weld the outside of that pipe to the wall. And But in, but since there's concrete all over the smokestack, that didn't work. So we had yeah. to reach into the smokestack and then make and do all our work inside an eight-inch pipe. So it's a perfect job for a machine. First, it's... Humans are incompatible with high radiation areas. I don't know if you knew that. I've, I've uh, well, I've seen it in movies. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. So you're on the right track there. And then second, we're having to work, you know, eight, you know, several feet. I think it was eight or ten feet down an eight-inch pipe. You know, I don't know how long your arms are, but mine won't mine, reach. I, even if I put both of them together, I don't think mm-hmm. I could do that. So uh, it was a good, it was a good automation job. So all right. So had you already been like tinkering with building some robots in your garage at this point, or was this, or did you, or did you look and say, I could, I can do that and go off and build something to, uh, to like, how did, how did your, how did, I, I mean, yeah, you, this is all you, you didn't have done. a big operation at the time. So no, no, but this is all I've ever done is, you know, is, is industrial robotics because, you know, when, uh, industrial robotics kind of came to, into existence in the seventies, right. And back then there were no roboticists. 
But I was a computer geek. That but there were no robot parts stores either. No, I mean, no, nothing. You know, no. Where do you go for the stuff? No, it was right. Engelberger. He's kind of the father of robots in America. And, yeah. And uh, he he came up with uh, the Unimate robot. And uh, and did he do Shaky the robot also? Was that his? Or I Shaky? don't know this one. <laughs> but he, he, had, uh, he had his Unimate sink a putt on uh, Johnny Carson. Oh, yes. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And that was hard to do way back We might have to, for for some of our audience, we may have to explain who Johnny Carson is. But, but yeah, no, that was, uh, I remember seeing that. That was really something. Yeah. But in the early days, there there wasn't anybody that knew robot programming and such. But I was a computer geek from the 70s. And uh, and I knew how to, and then my my training was in industrial technologies. You put the two together, and that's a robot. Or as close as you get back then. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little different now. now yeah, now it's, if I had to come, I, I wouldn't recommend that path to anybody wanting to get into the uh, the business now. There's, yeah. there's more formal training available. Right, right. So, all right. Um, so this, but this is fascinating um, because I have done a couple of episodes um, on robots. In fact, um, uh, 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 full transparency, um, I always believe in full transparency most of the time. Honesty's and, good. And, and, um, it's it's highly likely that the episode that when people are hearing this that the episode that came out the week before this is also about robots. It it, it, it almost it's almost never happened before that I had Uh-oh. I had two in a row. You got my competitors but, on. Uh, well, no, I don't know. It's uh, it's those guys in Zurich that are. I think they're keep competing more with Boston Dynamics with the walking robots and all of that. Oh. Um, and uh, and from what I understand, what you guys are doing is more the. The industrial, uh, like manufacturing, right. like the big, like not not the ones that ours don't know how to dance. Yeah, well, in oh. fact, in fact, we have a model right here. Yeah, uh, I brought you one. You know, have, that's, just, can, uh, that's a heavy and that's a that's a Swedish robot there. <laughs> a, a, what, I'm gonna here's what we're gonna when we're done here. I'm gonna take a picture and we'll we'll put it. Uh, we'll, well, you can't really put photos in podcast show notes. No, that's but, pretty uh, desk. I just want uh, you know a lot of people oh, are afraid of robots. I get to keep it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, people are afraid of robots. Think they're taking jobs. I think they're just another form of labor. Saving devices, and so I, I want you to have a friendly robot. I, that's fantastic, thank you. Um, so this robot, all right. So this is a so now is it orange in real life? Or yes, it, yes. So it's really orange, and so this to me looks like kind of a fancy engine puller, really. Uh, a six <laughs> I mean, it's, axis. It's engine kind of a puller. crane. How, how big is it? In in is it really? Oh, you name it. It can either fit on a desk or it could have a capacity to hold uh, 4,000 pounds. Oh, so it comes in like different sizes. Yeah, small, right. medium, and large. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, so what is it? All right, so it, I mean, it, it looks pretty self-explanatory. Like it goes, does this move? Does the model Oh, yeah, move? no, it's, I wouldn't give you a cheap model, would I? <laughs> That's right. So there's six degrees of freedom. So this, uh, uh, to describe the position of anything in space, you need to tell me where it is in X, Y, and Z, plus y'all pitch and roll. Yeah, sure. Okay. Right. And so to approach any point... That's how the cameras worked in Star Trek, by the way. When, when, whenever Kirk said on screen, it automatically, you know, didn't matter where the thing was. It could be anywhere, and they had a picture of it because they knew all of that information. Yeah. Huh. Well, that, I'm surprised you didn't know that. <laughs> you know, but to get to any place in space, you need that same six degrees of freedom. That's why there's six axes on this robot. Okay. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so I can turn him this way. I can turn yeah. him this way. And it kind of looks like a human arm. And that's called an artic- articulated arm. And so, that's kind of the, that is the uh, format that, or that's the configuration that most industrial robots have have evolved into. You know, I've been doing this forever, right? So there's also right. scare arms, Cartesian, yeah, polar yeah. coordinates, you name it. Sure, I've, I've but, heard, I know about all those things. Um, what, uh, now, now, this one says ABB on it. Asaya so. Brown Bavaria. That's our, that's our friends in Sweden, they make a nice robot. Uh, The way robot industry works is there's people that build robots and there's people that make robots do something useful. And those are called systems integrators. That's what Arc Specialties is. So so we take the robot because as you can see here, when this robot was born. Okay, so you're not, so so nowadays you're not building them so much. No, we actually are, but that's another story. story. (laughs) Yeah, but we're talking about this little orange guy, right? Yeah. In in this kind of sad, when he was born, look, he, he doesn't have a hand. Mm-hmm. And so, like, is that is that like an aftermarket thing? You got to get the hand. That's what an integrator does. Yeah. They, so they, we put some some tool on the end of the robot. That might be a welder. It could be a laser. Right, it right. could be a cutting machine. It could be, you know, some tool on the end. You know, without it, it's uh, relatively limited. So, but but the rest of the, uh, okay. So this thing, uh, I mean, so I, I see how it has the ability to move in all these different directions. But is the is is the intelligence so you have to send instructions to the tool right and so the tool does certain things like the arm gets it into position right but then where is is the intelligence for the operation itself in the tool or does that like how does all that go to, together again that's our job you know the robots are capable of motion and right. they can do uh, linear moves, circular moves, whatever you might like. Because, you know, let's say we're doing a welding machine. We, we'll need to make linear moves to weld the chassis of the car together or something like right, that. The robot right. knows how to do that. But then uh, that same controller that controls the motion will probably control the process. And that could be cutting, welding, drilling, whatever, uh, bolting. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so it's, that, that's what we do is, is the robot has no skills when it's born and it has no hand. And, yeah, yeah, and we, yeah. we add the skills and the tools and the software. And, the, and, and, and there's some type of integration between the tool, between the hand and the, and the rest of it, right? They, they, oh, yeah, they, yeah. They it all has of, to work together. They talk to each other, right? It's yeah, not, right. Yeah. And there's one we just shipped today. They had uh, a couple of robots had to work asynchronously but in coordination. Yeah. Uh, in yeah, that yeah. case, they're, they're installing large, heavy bolts. And, and it's not just a the same thing over and over as robots get more sophisticated we're giving them vision systems and tactile probes and all sorts of sensors to allow them to react to their environment because the world's not perfect yeah well that's that's the thing right is uh it's yeah the especially when you get into these um industrial environments like 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 oil and gas, by the way, which is what, what we usually talk about. And um, yeah, there, if you start talking about, it's one thing, I guess, to have a robot working in a, in a shop where everything is, 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 that, is that, do you call it a shop or a yeah, fa- factory? Factory, yeah. factory, right? Like some, some sort of like controlled, predictable space. But then you start talking about deploying them out in the wild. And I, I imagine that like that adds a whole another set of complexities, right? Oh, it's too much fun. Yeah, we, we've been doing that. We did one, oh, first one was probably close to 20 years ago. Uh, there was a big, heavy vessel. If you ever see a spherical vessel, that's usually yeah. got the bad stuff in it because that's the, that can take the most pressure. Right, right. Because right. there's a four-inch thick spherical vessel, but they wanted to cut a bunch of holes in it. And uh, they 
had no way to do this. And you know, there's there's ways to cut holes with uh, that are simple, like on the top, like at the North Pole, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, yeah. But if you offset to the side, there's there are no simple industrial solutions to that. So we sold them holes for two hundred dollars. <laughs> and so we would we drop the robot in the field and, and let it do that. And then just this week, we're shipping one that's putting three robots onto a drill ship. Uh huh. And so, so what are they going to do? These uh, run these riser. Robots. So you know. Uh -huh. So you know when you when you start to uh, spud in a well, you've right. got your drill ship floating up here. You got a couple miles of water, and you need to run the riser between it, which it conducts all all the utilities down while you're drilling. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. Riser's 80 foot long. So what's 10,000 divided by 80? That's a, that's a lot of joints. And so yeah, the sure. robot is finding these 50 pound bolts, threading them into the holes, and then torquing them to 20,000 foot pounds. Does that sound like a job a human would enjoy? No, not. I mean. I mean, a couple of guys I went to high school with, maybe, but but for the most the most part, nobody wants to do that job. Okay, so this is during construction you're talking about, right? So you run the riser, right? You know, that's when right. you install the riser, and then right. you pull the riser, and then you, right, right, pull, right, right. And so we're that's our first offshore robotics so, project. So how do these robots like get around? To, they to don't. We bolted them down, right? And, and so, so how what, do they get to the to the things that they need to to do? Well, we, we that's called an envelope study. You got to make sure the robot can reach everything within its world. So it can, our robots are bolted to to the actual uh, riser floor, and uh, okay, and then we'll uh, find the bolts out of the bolt bin. It, it IDs the bolts, figures out you know they're hex, right? See, so yeah. when you put a wrench on a hex, you got to match it, and right, so the robots right. match the hex, put it in. Uh, thread it down, swap to a torquing tool, but everything, the robot doesn't move. It's its bolted to that rig floor. Right. And so then that whole riser assembly is put down at the bottom of the, the boat until yeah, yeah, yeah. we're ready to pull the riser. Right. So the robots get a, get a couple of weeks off. Yeah. Well, I guess they, they need it after all of that, after all that work. So, all right, that, that's... Uh, but um, that's a good example of but, getting the robots out of the factory because you can't bring the oil field to a factory. Right, but you... But you and so we're joking about you know a human doesn't want to do that job, but they but they but they have done it right. I mean, before you put robots out there, there were people doing that. They're working uh, in the red zone. It's called the red yeah, zone because it it's dangerous. Right, it's really dangerous. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, and and we talked about you. You mentioned and you were joking when you you gave me this uh, this model, so you won't be afraid of robots. Um, uh, do what. Are the apprehensions, do you still run into the... Because I feel like, for the most part, we've all sort of gotten used to the idea that, I mean, you know, we got the... We, we've seen them in movies and we've heard about them. We've seen, you know, lots of YouTubes that go around, you know, robots dancing and doing all that. Like, is it... Do, are people still kind of apprehensive? And is it, the, is it the scary future kind of apprehension or is it the, I don't want this to take jobs away? Take jobs. That's, that's, that's the, typically yeah. the issue. They're afraid they're going to take jobs. But the reality is, you know, back in 1900, 50% of America worked on the farm. Now yeah. less than 2%. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. never heard anybody say they wanted to walk behind a horse plowing the field. This is just <laughs> that's, a, a, that's, you know, a, that's an excellent point. <laughs> this is just another labor-saving yeah. device. If yeah. you want to wash your clothes by hand, yeah. you know, more power to you. But I want that's to drop really, them in a machine. That's, that is that is an excellent point. Actually, nobody wants to. Um, well, except in certain parts of Pennsylvania. Um, but, <laughs> but, but besides that, nobody wants to do that. So, um, so what does happen? And and we've heard and I've heard people say. Um, 
you know, of course, the, the usual response is this type of automation doesn't take the jobs away. It just sort of like creates, it, it takes jobs away over here, but it creates new jobs over there because people got to, you know, it, like the economy sort of like, like oozes around all of these different changes. But then I've heard other people say, uh, no, that it doesn't, you know, like, no, because the same sort of person who, who used to thread the bolts on the riser isn't the kind of person who's going to go design the robot to thread the bolts on the riser. So th this is the sort of problem that you can't really get, you know, get a good grasp of until you've observed things for many years, which you have. So how, well, like, how, does it, like, how does it really shake out in terms of as new automation comes around and the jobs shift and like, what happens to people? Uh, they move on. You know, uh, I, what I get a kick out of is Bill Gates is one of the ones that's uh, advocating for a robot tax. So if you buy a robot, he wants you or your company to pay an additional tax. I find that ironic because, yeah, yeah. you know, you wind back to the to the uh, the IB or, you know, to his PC. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that eliminated more clerical jobs. Sure did. Than, yeah. uh, than my yeah. robots will ever even consider. Uh, and, and nobody put a PC, PC tax, tax out there. No. Well, you know, he's, he likes to stay, stay one step ahead. But, um, but a robot tax. So... That, that seems sort of, um, I mean, that seems kind of counterintuitive coming from a guy who's, uh, you know, uh, you know, heritage in the tech industry. I don't know. He's, he's, he's kind of different now, or I don't know, yeah. maybe he's not different now, but he asked him what, like, what would, why, do, where does that come from? Where does that idea, why does he want to have a robot? Test? Oh, there's a term for it. It's hypocrisy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there we go. Now we're getting down to the, <laughs> to the root of it. Yeah. But but what's he what's he hoping to achieve with the robot with the robot tax? Just I have no idea. I find it, I find it so ironic. You know, we might as well tax tractors because you know they're right exactly yeah and uh, cars and all yep. those things. Yeah, yep, exactly. So right. no, I, I was uh, one of my first installs. First time I ever time got to fly on an airplane. Flew up to uh, Connecticut. Okay, Installed I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. no, I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it was fun. It was fun. You know, I was, For those five people in Connecticut that listen to the show, I, I'm just joking. Well, good, because I'm going to insult them. I love, I love Connecticut. <laughs> put, put the robot in. I got it running the first day. Man, I was so proud of myself. And uh, we're welding up radiators. Got back in the next morning, and the robot wouldn't turn on. Uh, during the night, the uh, some of the people had slashed the circuit boards. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, you know, I, I tried my best, and I, I, you know, got it running again. Got new boards in, got it running again. But you know, that company didn't embrace technology, and guess what? They're gone. Yeah. So I could, I could have saved. Long, when was that? How long ago? Oh was that? man, I'm old. Long that was. Yeah, middle eighties. Okay, so you know, yeah. right, but that, you know that was you, you, you familiar with the term luddite? Sure. Yeah, okay, I've been well, called it a couple of times. Well, yeah. well <laughs> <laughs> you know the luddites. What, what was their yeah. solution to uh, weaving uh, automation? The looms. Yeah, well, to they break. Them. They broke them all. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Well, you know, so yeah. I was, a, I was, my robot was attacked by a luddite, and in and what they ended up doing literally. was everyone lost their jobs. Yeah, yeah, that's. Um, yeah, because they couldn't, obviously they didn't have the... Can't compete. The, they can't compete, right? You know, we want to make 10 times as much as a low-wage country, right? Yeah. The, the only way you can make 10 times as much as a guy in the low-wage country, you know, since it's a global economy, is you have to be 10 times as efficient. Yeah. I, I can help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can. All right, so let's talk about uh, what other other examples of how, um, uh, how these things are... Specifically in oil and gas, and I know you work in other industries as well. 
which, and I want to get to that. I want to get to the question of how do we in oil and gas learn from what other industries are doing. But first, because whenever I ask the question, whenever we do have a conversation about robots, it seems like the most popular thing to talk about these days is going in and to like hostile environments and reading the meters so that people don't have to do it. So we got that one. We know about that one, right? Like you send the robot in and it reads the thing, but like, like what, what else is the, is, is, is happening or is the potential for the way that they can Im- impact the, the oil and gas business? Oh, you name it. Uh, I yeah. mean, it, robots can do things you can't do, you know, sure. uh, you know, uh, I could, I could give you a piece of plastic and a knife and you could probably carve me out a contact lens, but it wouldn't be nearly as good as one built yeah. by a precision machine. Yeah. So look for that. You'd have trouble getting it into your eye. Uh, it, yeah. It'd be yeah. painful. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a, a silly suggestion, but you, you see what I'm saying? Humans right. are not precise. No. Uh, and robots are. Yeah. And and so uh, I don't know right now in the in in the oil field let's see we're doing a lot of sand screen work. Okay. Uh, which yeah. has been fun making sand screen machines uh, to filter out the sand from oil yeah. wells. Yeah. And uh, like like part as like part of a flowback system. Well, you know, uh, they'll gravel pack a, a well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. Now, I'm, man, I'm outside of my depth. Now I just build the stuff. You just build. Yeah. yeah. But uh, just you gravel pack. But then they want to have a, a sand screen. They also use it up in Canada in oh. the in the sag stuff, yeah. which is the steam assisted. Right. And so yeah. we need a, a, a wrapped and welded uh, filter for that. We, we build those machines, and we're able to hold plus or minus a thousandths on the gap, which... Yeah, that's pretty... And we're, ma- we're doing 100 wells a second. If you can beat my robot, I'll give you a job. Yeah. 100 I, a second. I, I can't do 100 of anything in a second. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> yeah, the robot's going to win, but that, that allows yeah. you to go do something more useful. That's the plan. Okay, so let's get to that, because... Um, so back, I think I used this example once in a conversation with somebody else before, but I can't remember what it was. So back in my uh, early days of, uh, like, I, I spent most of my career in the, con- I, like, big IT enterprise consulting business. Um, uh, and we used to, uh, as part of our, like, when we were trying to sell a deal, right, like, like some, let's say some big, back then there was a lot of, like, custom application development systems integration kind of things. People would spend a lot of money on SAP, and then they'd spend a lot of money on all the things that SAP didn't do, uh, and, and integrating it all together, you know, that kind of stuff. And we would always, one of the justifications when we were pitching to a client is, uh, is we would always say, um, you know, well, this, this, you're going to spend this money, um, but, uh, you know, and it's going to save all this time. Um, it's going to reduce all this manual, uh, you know, work that everybody has to do. Now, I know you're not going to just fire a whole bunch of people. Um, so it's not really like a, like a, well, we start, we used to try to give the cost savings pitch, right? And then we learned that nah, nobody's really going to fire those people. So we switched our tactic. To, well, we know you're not going to fire people, but, you know, this allows your people to go out and, and to, to do other, like, more strategic, more important things. And this one, this one old guy one time who was like a, like a, like a, like a seasoned old, you know, director of operations or something like that. I don't know. He looked at me and he goes, and I said, you know, it lets your people do other more important things. And he looked at me and he goes, like what? <laughs> And I didn't, like, I didn't have an answer for that. I didn't, like, I don't know. I don't know, like, what. And and I started to wonder, like, is this sort of this, like, illusory thing, like, we're saving time for people to do more important things, but what more important, like, like they're already doing their job, so what's the more important thing? So so do you have any examples of, of, of uh, that? You, no, I, you know, most of the jobs I replace are dull, dirty, dangerous. That's yeah, what robots the excel dangerous at. dangerous thing, right. right. It's, and, and right. So it's, it's, 
it's logical that you'd put a robot there. And and the people that do dull, dirty, dangerous jobs often don't care for them. Yeah, and sure. and so there's something called attrition. Okay, right, right. And so if if you know you don't replace everybody, but if you replace a few dull, dirty, dangerous jobs, the attrition will take care of the it takes the, care of the rest. And 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 surely people do have and people that are creative and have aspirations and ambitions and stuff, they're going to learn how to do you know how to apply their their skills and their experience to to doing other things i would guess Um, and like i said if we don't automate and and become productive you know this is a global economy then the whole everything goes right yeah right and then you then you lose the whole company right you lose everything you know i'm a global free market capitalist right yeah that's good to know (laughs) it's good to know they're still around oh yeah here here (laughs) i'm one and you know and, and i love i'm in 32 countries and i put in machines all over the place yeah so i'm putting advanced technology in all these different countries yeah, yeah. so be aware you know that they're they're competing with yes. us yeah but yeah. here's my theory if everybody had a job the world would be a more peaceful place <laughs> that's true so uh so there was a uh, uh yeah yeah. <laughs> well, that actually, that, we could go off on a whole tangent about that, but I'm I'm gonna resist. I'm not gonna. Maybe we'll save that for part two when we go over to your uh, to your robot factory. It's a deal. Um, it, it, what about? Uh, I want to get back to. Um, so you're working in other industries, and this comes up a lot where we we realize that uh, it's kind of a new it's kind of a new thing in oil and gas as we've realized recently in recent years that we might actually be able to learn a couple things from how people do things in other industries. Oh, oh, I'm going to flip this over <laughs> on you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to Yeah, there's a there's a certain electric car company, well, there's several, right? But uh, you know, there's one in particular that I've heard of, uh, yeah. Well, there's several. But uh, they needed to be able to do uh, plasma cutting in three dimensions. Yeah. Well, guess what we developed in the oil field? Three-dimensional plasma cutting. Exa- oh, there you okay. go. And so we didn't have to invent it. We just had I, so to I like this. It. I like this angle. This is even better. The whole like, if some other industries could learn from things that we've oh, already it, done. I'll go on. You know, yeah. we don't have enough time. I'm, well, the, the, let's the do a nuclear couple. industry. This right. is a great one. I just, I just, uh, we're fix, finishing up one now. You need to come over and see it. Yeah. Uh, the, it's, it's astounding how they weld nuclear valves here in the oil patch. You know, it's competitive. Yeah. Extremely competitive. Competition improves the breed. Right. And so we've been using robots for welding valves for years. Well, no. In the nuke industry, you preheat the valve to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, that's like pizza cooking temperature, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you tell a human to stick his arm into this valve and weld it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Oddly enough, the reject rate's quite high. And so... (laughs) And so we got a call not long ago from uh, another state, and uh, and we're what we're doing is applying uh, oil field technology to the nuclear industry. So uh, I'm flipping this, is, this on so you. No, I, I, it's even better because because I have this other. Okay, so so forget about that learning from other industries because um, I have this other uh, kind of soapbox that I get on sometimes where I say, um, you know, so everybody's all excited about these new forms of energy. It's a whole other discussion as to how. How, how effectively and, and quickly those things are going to displace the current forms of energy. But one of the big problems uh, in, get, in, in getting, so it's, it's so, and you, you have a garage story, and so you know that, you know, making, you know, the something, you know, the invention work in the garage and then like deploying and operating it in the real world, like there's a whole other set of problems to solve when you go from like the, like how do I, how do I get power out of a out of a solar panel, or how do I right? And then how do I get power into everybody's house? That's that's a whole other set of problems. And 
Um, and so how to deploy and operate and scale all this new energy um, in, in the world is, is a problem. And I, I keep coming back to this notion that, you know, yeah, and, and they're not doing real well with it in a lot of, in a lot of places. And um, I keep saying, you know, if you, want, if you want to solve the problem of how to, like, provide the world with, pow- with a new source of power, why don't you just ask the people who figured out how to do it the first time? Because there's a whole bunch of engineer- science and engineering type problems that you have to solve that uh, they've got to be similar, right? Like, do you, see this, do, you, do you see the same kind of applications? Well, it's, I know you're, you're working with robots, but... but no, no, I'm, but I'm, that, uh, don't worry, I've got opinions on lots of things. Yeah, but, okay. <laughs> uh, I saw a really good graph once that showed uh, from uh, initial uh, invention of power to, its, to becoming a significant component, okay? I think okay. we start out with wood, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and then coal. Which, and, by the way, you can still burn wood and it counts as green, so just keep that in mind. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're deforesting, to, you know, because it's green, but uh, that's another story. But... It, the problem is it takes, it's almost every fuel has taken 50 years to develop, every new energy source. <clears throat> and it's, it's wonderful to say, well, let's just speed to up. To develop it at, to a point where it can be a, applied. A significant right. contributor. Right, right, okay? right. It was funny. I, was, I did a, a fun job for the Navy once. And uh, uh, this is additive, okay? Mm-hmm. And added, additive manufacturing, you can do things other than plastic. Sure. Yeah, Guess yeah. what welding is? It's the original additive process. Sure. And so this rewind about almost 20 years ago, and the, the, the Navy wanted to make gun barrels uh, with additive. And, uh, but the, the way they phrased it was hilarious. They said, uh, every, every X years, there's a revolution in gun barrel making technology. And I said, and your point is? And they said, it's been that many years. I said, well, that's not how inventions work. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that does sound like an extraordinarily military thing to say. So. Right, but I'm just telling you, just because you want a technology to advance, right, right. it doesn't mean you can speed this up. Because historically, it's always been like it a 50-year lag. 50 years. So right. how far into the 50 years are we? Uh, Depending on where you want to count the zero starting start point. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, but I think that there's a lot of, I think that the people in oil and gas have um, have figured out a lot of things over, uh, you know, the last hundred plus years that have application in other places. Right? I'm and living it. You know, you know, when this whole COVID thing hit us, uh, I was blessed. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, for anybody listening later, you know, this is <laughs> we're just coming out of the COVID deal. But I was blessed that we were considered to be a critical infrastructure provider because we do a lot of military stuff, and so we never shut down. We never oh. mask up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and but at the same time, the oil field went to to yeah. nothing. You yeah. were you were here. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> but what it did for me is uh, all my competitors were hiding at home with a face diaper on, and so we took their work. <laughs> Well, uh, what is it? Who was it that said uh, uh, victory favors the the courageous or something like that? Um, or, or the brave, the brave, brave, or brave, something, something along, something to the effect of uh, uh, bravery wins the day. Uh, uh, must be present to win is kind of yeah, where I'm at. That's the, that's the other one that's extremely applicable. So, um, so what else? Where else are you seeing uh, cases where things that we've learned? Um, well, and was so. Uh, you're working with the. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask three questions. You can pick which one you want to answer. But um, the working in. I'm guessing that because you're here in Houston, like a big part of your business over these last forty something years or whatever it's been is 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 oil fields, right? When uh, when the oil feels good, it's very very good. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when it's bad, we go elsewhere. Yeah, okay. So, so, so you got a lot of depth in that. Um, uh, what else, uh, where else do you see uh, cases of, uh, of things that we invented and learned uh, how to do here technology-wise that become applicable, that save the day in some other, in some other industry? Oh, let's see. We're, we're working on ships. We're working on rockets. We're working on, I mean, the deal on the oil field is, you know, we're, we're working beneath miles of water and miles of rock. The temperatures and pressures are just so yeah, high. Yeah. You know, some of the extreme wells that, the, that we're discovering, we do not have the technology or the materials to even produce. I love this business. Yeah, you know, it's you know, true. You know, <laughs> so it's yeah. real easy for me to take the same cladding technology that prevents hydrogen, you know, sour gas in a well from damaging a valve, and we can apply it to a corrosion problem on a submarine. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A fun one I'm doing right now is uh, robotic machining. Okay, so uh, traditional machine tools are Cartesian, X, Y, Z. Yeah, right. But uh, uh, if we're going to machine something that's complex, then it would be nice to have five axes or something like that. And so the more sophisticated machines are are that way. But robots have six. And so robotic machining is a whole new area. It's too much fun. And so yeah. we're drilling and tapping and milling and doing fun, some fun stuff. Well, I met an a orthopedic surgeon who's quite, uh, he's unique in that he embraces technology. And so we've collaborated to apply robotic machining technology to orthopedic surgery. Uh-huh. Because a human, uh, the way they're doing it now, a human has trouble holding um, a two millimeter accuracy. You sure. Know, Ninety thousands. Yeah, especially, especially much more so now than when I was younger. But uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 I see that tremble in your yeah. Head. But, <laughs> but you know what? The robots can hold uh, you know a hundred times better than that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but the question always comes up, right? Uh, or, or I guess the thing that I always wonder about is um, uh, it's really. And, and, and this, and this is the case with a lot of technology. It's like it's really easy to conceptually say. I can apply this technology, in this case a robot, to this problem over here, and it's going to do it so much better. But to get from not having it to having it and having it working and the, like that, like it's, you, you don't just show up in the orthopedic surgeon you no, know, place no, and no, you got a robot working, right? So you got to do dead people before they let you do live people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so there's some sort of like cost to, to develop, right? That, That's the fun that, part. That you have to, right, but, but, but people want to get... Like especially nowadays in the oil business, everybody wants a like a five minute ROI on everything. Well, see, that's the beauty of being a small business. I can make bad financial decisions every day of the week because I don't have any investors. Nobody cares. So we got a whole. uh, That's a fun story. So I've got a laboratory. You need to come see this. Okay, I will. I got a whole laboratory because my first job out of school was at Hughes Tool in the welding research lab, and I had so much fun. Yeah. And before that, my mom was a genetics researcher, so I got to pipette Drosophila and and use chromatographs and all this stuff. So I'm a lab guy, right? And so I built a lab because out of every 10 ideas we have, six of them work and two of them sell. But if yeah. you don't start with 10, you don't get, yeah, don't six, get six and you don't get two. Interesting. And yeah. so we, we do a whole lot of R&D. Somebody came to us and said, how do you make titanium bulletproof? Hmm. I guess it's not already, is it? Uh, no. 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 <laughs> uh, come over. I'll show you some samples. Yeah. You know? and, and that's not in a textbook. How do you weld molyrenium? It's not in the textbook. Mo- how do you weld what? Molly Ren- Molly Molly you know, how, so. how do you, you know, stuff like that. And that's, we thrive on that. Okay. So we, we start in the lab. And yeah. if it works, then we 
build a machine, you know, develop and build a machine. If it doesn't work, we just don't talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Kind of like uh, some podcasts uh, you never hear about because uh, some ep- some episodes uh, have never. I just didn't. I just didn't put them out. Are like you threatening just, me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the the irony is. Um, so let's see. Uh, since I took over the the tech show from from the, the the great and famous Mark Lacour, who very graciously asked me, "Would you like to take over this show?" It's been uh, it's been it's almost two years. It's, been, it's probably been about a year and a half, and um, with a, with one episode every week. And I have probably had there's probably been six or seven over that time that um, nobody ever heard, and because they just weren't. Yeah, you know, it just wasn't very good. It didn't really. You know, I listened to it afterwards, and yeah, it just wasn't. Yeah, it, just wasn't it wasn't very good. The irony is, none of the guests who were ever in any of those episodes ever contacted me afterward and said, "What happened to my episode?" <laughs> Which means that I made the right decision, right? Because I, I think they understood. Like their hearts weren't really in it, or something, right? Like they weren't really. I don't think. I think they they they're, they didn't really care that much. So you, you care way too much about this. So you, it's obviously. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll be. I will call you. I'll, you'll call I will me. be offended. So we'll have to. We'll have to do it. Um, all right. Let's see. What else? What else can we talk about? Oh, uh, you, you, you had a, an exciting announcement recently. Uh, can you talk about that? The uh, the thing with we were talking about that drilling company before. Is oh, that? Oh yeah. You, you know, we're working with Transocean uh, to uh, deploy offshore. And that's some, something we talked about earlier in this conversation right, right. where we putting the robots offshore. Oh, okay. That was that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that. And and they literally just trucked them out. And you know, it's a big job when your 36,000 pound pork truck isn't big enough. So it's sat and watched <laughs> <laughs> while we brought in some uh, really heavy fork trucks to move this stuff yeah. out. So that's going offshore. I think a couple of my guys are uh, in that, that helicopter. Have you ever done the helicopter dunking? I, I have not, but I have, I have been told about it many times. And uh, <laughs> Well, they're dunking I, a couple of my robot techs as we speak. Are they? All right. Good. Good. Hopefully they will. Um, will come out without too much to clean up off their shirts. Um, is So it seems like maybe offshore activity picking up. Are you, oh, are you hearing absolutely. more about it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And we're, uh, we've are we been doing some stuff with blowout preventers too. Uh, and yeah, that, that's well, the let's, let's get that right for sure. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You, know, those, that's, you know, that's your last line of defense, right? And yeah. so um, what we've come up with a way to to weld blow-up preventers faster. We built like 25 of these machines. Uh, but that's, that's, a, that's kind of a cool thing. You know, yes, I am still building robots, you ask, oh, you know, because yeah, yeah, we're yeah, integrating, yeah. but then, but, you're, yeah. but nobody builds a robot that can handle blow-up preventer because those are 100,000 pounds, something like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Okay, no yeah. robot. You know, I just told you the big robots are 4,000. Right, right. Well, that's yeah. a little bit outside so, the limits. So uh, we're, we're building our own robots. Did you, have, did you have to build an addition on the lab for this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we got a high bay. And, you know, it's, that's where we put yeah. the big stuff. But well, I'm proud to say that we're one of the last remaining manufacturers of robots in America. We pretty much killed our robot industry in America. So they're all being made. Uh, so where, where are the I'm, most? I'm buying them from Germany, yeah. uh, uh, Japan, yeah. uh, Sweden, right. and Denmark. Wow, interesting. So, but what, we so are the ones that started this, and yet we crushed our industry. So, how how did how did that happen? Oh, is that I, a, I have a theory. Is that a story for polite conversation? Well, I have a theory, and uh, and I'm going to use Cincinnati Millicron as the example. Okay. Uh, I used to program a lot of Cincinnati Millicron robots. Really good stuff. I had a right. high regard for them. This was back in the early '80s. They're gone. Okay. Mm-hmm. What happened? Well, Cincinnati Millicron's a great big company, and they had they build lathes, mills. Mm, plastic yeah, yeah. injection machine, right. grinders, and robots. And someone in their infinite wisdom decided they'd break them all up into independent business units. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then <clears throat> before that case, 
that was the case. What they would do is if one industry was a little low, like the grinders weren't selling, those guys would build stuff for the robot guys and vice versa. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. but then business cycles are, are, are always present, right? Right, right. And so, uh, so when the grinder business went through a down cycle, that one went away. And so when the robot went through a down cycle, right, that one there went another American robot company. Yeah. Darn Interesting. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so, well, so, so I guess what you're saying is it's, it's more a, a uh, kind of an outcome of, of, is it, it's just, it's just like due to like raw capitalism that basically people, um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm all for raw capitalism, but, but I know in other countries, sometimes it's easier to get, you know, subsidized for things to keep your business going, even during the downturn. Well, dumping, is you're that, referring that, to dumping. Yeah. Is, that, <laughs> is that what I'm referring to? <clears throat> yeah, no, that, that's true. And the, but th there was another thing that I thought was interesting, and th this is the other theory, is the Americans, we tried to tackle the really hard jobs with robots. I'm talking early 80s and stuff. Yeah. And so, oh, you know, we want the glamorous hard jobs. Whereas the, the Japanese who have more robots per capita than we do by a factor of like six. Yeah. Okay. They've, they've truly embraced it. They would take a simple job, like put the nut on and tighten it. Whereas we wanted to build a nut. Right. And then, yeah, sure. And so sure, sure, sure caused us to fail whereas they were I, I like their attitude much better they would tackle a job they could do and then build upon yeah yeah okay? and that's what we've been doing for well, they, the last 20 years at our good at that building yeah. on it yeah i mean they taught us how to build cars reliably as well so indeed you know and that was competition yeah. when we didn't have the competition in america right american cars were not considered that reliable once no, again no global free market I capitalist remember, i remember in the 80s uh speaking of the 80s uh it wasn't you, you know it was sort of that was sort of the joke, right? Was at that time, American cars, um, you know, everybody was buying the Japanese cars because American cars were unreliable and, 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 and it kind of had this reputation for being junk. And it, what's ironic to me, and we've, and we've long since left those days behind, and American cars now are, at least I, I have owned uh, GM cars now for the last 20 years, multiple members of my family, they've all been reliable, almost never in the shop. I mean, I've had, you know, and, um, uh, but that stigma that established, got established back, I, it probably started in the late 70s, right? Like, mm -hmm. like mid-70s into the 80s, that stigma of American cars are, are unreliable and Japanese cars are, um, it, it's still out there in people's minds. Like there's still, like I still talk to people from time to time who are like, why would you buy an American car? Like they're no good. You should buy a Japanese car. And 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 it's been it's been decades since that's been the case. But it it, it sticks though. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I had to say about that. But that's just an. Well, I'm with you. I, I used to drive Toyotas, and but then once American cars got to be uh, high quality again, now I'm, I'm a loyal. Yeah, yeah. They, I'm and a they loyal are. chauvinist. But it's funny. But it's funny because that you know once you get that uh, once people kind of get a certain idea in their head, uh, it just kind of. It just stays there. So, all right. What? Well, let me look at the clock. Oh shoot, we are. Uh, we're probably getting to that point where, and we're actually, we're getting to the point where you and I both need to leave here. Um, I will. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be heading down the street to the Texas Tea Tavern, which is. I don't know if you have you because I know your shop's nearby, so you must know about no, the Texas no, Tea sounds, Tavern. Sounds like a place so, I need to know about. Yeah, so I'll tell you about it when we're done here. I, I've actually done a couple of episodes from the Texas Tea Tavern. Um, Texas Tea is named after. They named the place after. 
people don't really say this anymore, but remember Texas tea was, oil. you know, oil, black gold, Texas tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched the Beverly Hills. Yeah, that was, that was where we first learned that, right? So um, anyway, what, what else? Uh, and so we're going to do a part two because I do want to come over and to your clubhouse. Uh, what, uh, any, any, uh, uh, anything, let's see. Uh, let's go back to the being afraid of robots thing. What, what, any parting jewel, nuggets of goodness for people who are still afraid of robots? No, I embrace technology. Uh, I remember, for example, uh, the reason you have a closet full of clothes is because they've gotten to be so cheap to make. And so every time we improve productivity, improve efficiency, then, then that creates the land of plenty. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, that's why you're you're not going hungry. That's why you have a closet full of clothes. That's why you have everything you need is because of efficiency. Yeah, and if you want to go back and, and only buy handmade clothes, sure, uh, uh, your closet's going to be diminished. So yeah, uh, also your bank account is going to be expensive. Indeed, yeah, you know, yeah. you can you can spend the big bucks on your artwork or something that right. is handmade. Yeah, but but for the you know for the commodities, why not let a machine yeah. do it? Incidentally, speaking of, that, of the closet full of clothes, my, I, I've recently been informed by my wife that I am not allowed to purchase any more Hawaiian shirts. Mm. So uh, apparently, the the, the 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 one closet bar won't hold them. They're, it's completely full. So you know, there's that. That's probably had had that process not been you know made more efficient, I probably would only have five or ten Hawaiian shirts instead of the number <laughs> instead of the number that I do have so um, alright well that, that's I think that's that's probably a good place to wrap up well, and, I'm going to put uh, in a pitch for what I'm going after this, oh yeah, this yeah, evening. yeah okay you're going to the, you're going oh, drinking yeah. oh, I'm right? sorry yeah I meant yeah. to ask you about that yeah. oh, well <clears throat> I'm putting in a pitch for everybody to go vote I'm, uh, I'm uh, taking a class uh, to be a poll clerk oh uh, so yeah, I'm, cool. I'm taking this seriously enough oh, yeah because primaries are right now right right and, well it's and early I'm, voting still right I've actually been a poll clerk three times but apparently I wasn't qualified but uh <laughs> Well, After tonight, I'll, I'll have my, my certificate. <laughs> so everybody that's listening, you know, that's that's the solution uh, yeah, to, go vote. Is, is to go out and vote. So. Yeah. What? All right. So since we're on this, what, Sorry. What, what exactly do you do when you're a poll clerk? Like, what does that entail? Not much. You just, uh, you know, you make sure that uh, everything happens properly. And and I'll tell you, it will restore your faith in the system. Oh, yeah? Well, work. that's good to know because, well, yeah. Yeah, well, no, you hear all these bad things. But uh, I can tell you from up close and personal experience that, for example, we had one fellow walk away from the poll booth without pressing the, the magic button at the yeah, end. Sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. you got to press the ma- – in, in Texas, you got to press the magic button at the end in right. order for your vote to be registered. Okay. Well, now we've got this this machine we can't use. This guy's left. You know, it would be easy for us to go press the button. Right. But, but that's not legit. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. They yeah. figure out who this guy is, figure out his cell phone. I, this wasn't my job. They managed to call him. He manages to get back before it timed out after 30 minutes, and he pressed the button. And he pressed the button. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, no, it'll, it'll restore your faith in that's the system. Good. Well, and it's it's a little bit more, uh, I guess it's probably slower slower moving through there now because we can't straight ticket vote in Texas anymore, right? So so people have got to actually go through and pick out all the different uh, – uh, the, the different, uh, I mean – that's I mean, beyond my pay grade. Yeah, I don't know. I trust yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. You can't. You can't. They they eliminated the straight ticket vote a couple of years ago, so we can't. You have to actually pick out all the. But it used to be, you know, you just walk in, you push the one, you push the button on the left or the button on the right, and you're done. And, you know, you walk out. Now just you have pick to, a color, blue now, or red, now, and drive now off. Now you have to go. All right, all right. So, uh, so Dan Alford, thank you, and. Uh, Arc Specialties. I'm reading it. I'm, to remember the name of your company, I'm reading it off your shirt. Usually I read it off my notes, but as you, as you know, I have no notes for this one today. So, uh, so thanks for uh, being here today, and let's do another one over at your place. Absolutely. Anytime you're available, uh, we'd love to host a podcast at our place. Sounds good. All right. 
Well, there you have it, folks. My new friend, Dan Alford, who is uh, not, let's just say he, he, he does not have a shortage of thoughts and ideas and opinions about lots of different things. And uh, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. I love talking to people like that. So I'm going to have him back. And I don't know, maybe we'll have, uh, maybe, who knows? Who knows what we may dig into when Dan comes back to the program. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. As I mentioned, uh, don't forget to check out OGGN Unscripted. Uh, it, it, it went well, so I think you'll enjoy it. And of course, uh, have a look at all the other OGGN podcasts, which uh, you can find on our website, which is coincidentally OGGN.com. Now, don't listen to them on the website. I mean, you can do that, but you don't want to just you can learn about them on the website and, you know, you can see pictures of all the hosts and find out all the interesting little tidbits about everybody. And then, you know, you can link out to your to your to Apple or Spotify or whatever you whatever you like to wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And uh, and I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that you, you can find at least one or two more that uh, you can put into your rotation. All right. That's going to wrap it up. Did I say that already? I think I said that already. But that is really going to wrap it up. So many thanks to the OGGN team for all the hard work. Most especially my audio fixer guy, Mr. Mac Roman, who always makes us sound fantastic. And remember, when you hear somebody... Now remember, I'm in a hurry today because it's Saturday, so I want to move on. So I'm just going to say this. Whenever you hear somebody say the thing, then this is what you say to them. We were tech before tech was cool. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.